Hey, it's Emily. And it's Kayla. And you're listening to Two Jane Does. This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, guys, for another episode of 2J and Doze. Hi! Today we're going to talk about the unsolved murder of Patricia Sue Brogan Richmond. And she is from Raleigh County. So, if you are a West Virginia local who's tuning in to us, then this one's going to hit home for you. Patricia, or Susie, as she was known to friends and family, was born on February 23rd, 1954 in Raleigh County, West Virginia to Homer Harrison Brogan and Thelma Jean Thompson Brogan. She graduated from Shady Spring High School in 1971. Susie then married Bruce Richmond and the couple moved to Pluto Road. The next year, in March, Susie gave birth to their daughter, Angela Arlene. Life was good until a fateful day in November of 1973. Dun, dun, dun. On November 8th, 1973, Susie dropped off Angela at her parents' home at approximately 10.30 a.m. She had loaded her orange Volkswagen Beetle with Amway products, which is kind of like some home good products. Um, They kind of sold sort of like how Avon would sell things. So she was a door-to-door saleswoman. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And she had intended to distribute to customers on Old Crow Road. And then she took her grandmother to the store. Susie was wearing a white skirt, a blue sweater, white boots, and a red scarf. Susie had stopped at Ransom's Market and the Amco gas station in Beaver before returning her grandmother back home. And it was after that that Susie just disappeared as if out of thin air. When Susie failed to return home that evening, her parents called the West Virginia State Police to file a missing persons report. And they actually told her to wait a few days because Susie may be a runaway. Because in these adult disappearances, they'll just tell you they can go where they want. They can do what they want. You just got to give it some time. So they usually put a time frame on that before you can actually file a missing persons report. While all of this was going on, the residents of the town of Mendham, which is just a county over in Fayette County, They reported seeing smoke rising up from a trash dump, but did not think anything of it as it appeared that someone was just burning trash, which I guess people just burn their trash in Fayette County pretty frequently. (laughs) (laughs) People burn their trash all all the time. It smells terrible. You're not supposed to do it. But hey, this was near a trash dump, so why not? (laughs) So while... You know, the police told them you have to wait at least 24 hours before they can file a missing persons report. Her husband, Bruce, was very concerned and posted a $1,000 reward for information leading to her return. Over a hundred of Susie's friends and relatives organized search parties to scour the woods. Even a helicopter was deployed in the search for Susie as well. And Bruce even flew in a friend's plane in hopes of finding something. However... They found nothing. She's just gone. Which would just be like a very gut-wrenching feeling. 
for someone that you love and care for to just disappear and you can find no trace of them. Yeah, she's just left with no no message left behind, no nothing. On November 16th, representatives of the West Virginia State Police discovered Susie's burn Volkswagen over a hill near the Concho trash dump in Mendham. It was found that her vehicle didn't leave the road due to any kind of accident and that the fire was deliberately set. Which, going back to those people in the same town, seeing that smoke rising, that's more than likely what they saw was Susie's car actually being destroyed. Um, There were traces of gasoline found on and inside her car, as well as a partially scorched gold wedding band with the brand name of Gold Circle. The owner of the wedding band is still a mystery. I've never even heard of the brand Gold Circle, so it must no longer be around. Must not be, because I don't think... I ain't never heard of it. Every kiss begins with K. (laughs) Go to Jared. Anyways. So two salesmen reported that they may have seen Susie at the Beckley Shopping Plaza on the day of her disappearance. They had been sitting in a car outside of Murphy's about 1.30 p.m. on November 8th when they observed an African-American man get into a red-colored Volkswagen parked nearby. Inside the car was a young white woman sitting on the passenger side. They continued to watch as the man started the car to drive away. He seemed to be unfamiliar with the gears on the car and had trouble backing it out of the parking space. One of the salesmen thought the girl looked familiar, so he wrote down the license plate number of the Volkswagen as it passed by and headed north on US-21 toward Mount Hope. Three men who had been hauling coal on Bury Mountain towards Thurmond on November 8th all told identical stories about seeing an orange Volkswagen coming up the narrow road at a rapid pace. The windows were down in the Volkswagen. An African-American man was driving. A petite Caucasian woman sat in the middle. And a second African-American man was sitting in the passenger seat. So this is a little bit different than what the salesman seen. Because he's only saying that he's seen one man. And then these three men are saying that they see two. Exactly. So did they pick up the extra man somewhere else? They could have. But recounting stuff, your your mind can play tricks on you. Oh, it's yeah. hard to exactly say what you can recall. I've seen studies where people have like staged someone uh, stealing a woman's purse in a crowded area. And then they went back and they've interviewed people. And almost every person would have a different recount of the events or what the person's description was, what the purse itself even looked like. So it's it's hard to say. And it doesn't help that, you know, what angle did you have to see the person? Did you see it all? How far away were they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. A resident later reported that he saw the Volkswagen burning and he did not see anyone around the car, but he did see two African-American men walking up the road away from the car. He had asked them if anyone was hurt, and they replied no, that they were the only ones in the car. He had offered the two young men a ride, but they refused. Both men were described as young, perhaps 19 or 20. One was wearing army pants and carrying an army jacket and was wearing a square-faced diver's watch with a wide band. He was wearing shiny black boots, and the sole of the right boot appeared to be about three to four inches thick, but the left boot did not have a built-up sole. He was about six feet tall and slender, medium complexion, and stuttered a little when he spoke. 
The second male was described to be only about five foot six in height and more stocky. He was wearing a black leather cap, which appeared to have earmuffs on it, and his hair was bushy and stuck out beneath the cap. So it makes you wonder if the first man was wearing basically army fatigues or some type of military fatigues, if he was in the military. But if you were in the military, you would think that if somebody saw you and you had done something... That would make it easier for them to identify you. So why would you wear your uniform? Yeah, because you don't. You wouldn't want to be caught doing something in an army uniform. Right. And then also his shoe, if he had some kind of hip disorder or, you know, one of his legs was significantly longer than the other, it also makes me wonder, would he have even been accepted into the military in the first place? Right. I mean, this is the 70s, so... I'm sure they still had some sort of guidelines, you know, like they do now. Like, you can't have certain health problems and all this other stuff in order to be in the Army. On November 23rd, two weeks after Susie went missing, two raccoon hunters, Harvey Williams and James Shea, were at the eastern shore of Plum Orchard Lake, which is only about 29 miles from where we are recording this episode right now. Which is spook spook. I mean, plus we've both been to Plum Orchard Lake before. Oh, yeah. Like, there was one time me and my dad rented a rowboat for, like, the entire night, and we were just out there fishing. We didn't catch a damn thing except one bluegill that we beat to death with the oars before we made it back to the docks. <laughs> so, but, I mean, it was eerie being out there. Oh, yeah. On, it's a very, lake very quiet lake. I mean, me and my parents, we used to go fishing out there. We've camped out there. Mm -hmm. It's very secluded. It's very quiet. It's, it is kind of eerie to be out there. Unless you're right by the, the, the gun range. Oh yeah. And it's any stereotypes you have about West Virginians and guns, they're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) So James and Harvey were on the Eastern shore of Plum Orchard Lake when they found Susie's body. The superintendent at the lake contacted the police and reported that a body had been found. It was approximately 50 yards from the road at the base of an overturned tree. Her body was too badly decomposed to determine whether or not she was sexually assaulted. Susie's dress, sweater, and bra were found wrapped around her neck. Her face looked like it had been either beaten beyond recognition or the animals had gotten to it. A gold-collared button chain a partial tooth plate, and Susie's long black wig were found at the scene, which I should add that she did wear wigs. And this is not very uncommon for women in the 70s. As a matter of fact, my grandma still wears wigs to this day. Yeah, it was the style back then to just wear wigs that were more fashionable for the times for you to fit in. And it's, it makes it so much easier to change your hair color. Oh, yeah. Rather than going to the salon and dyeing it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Buying a nice wig is probably about the same price as getting your hair colored. You just throw your hair up and just change your hair color for whatever you feel like that day. And they last longer than getting your hair dyed. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And it's it's a pain. Anyways, being a woman's hard. So, Susie's white boots were also missing. Susie was only 20 years old at the time of her death. An autopsy revealed that Susie had died as a result of two stab wounds to the left chest wall that punctured her lung and caused hemorrhaging. The murder weapon was never identified. 
The coroner also determined that Susie's body was probably at Plum Orchard Lake for at least two weeks. Which is around about the time, you know, she went missing two weeks ago. These raccoon hunters found her two weeks later. So the time frame makes sense. Yes. However, after hearing about Susie's body being found, the two salesmen who seen her car turned the paper with license plate number over to the police, and it turned out to be the license of Susie's orange Volkswagen. The three men hauling coal also provided descriptions of the two males in the vehicle, and they matched exactly the description given by the men in resident who had seen and talked to both of them when they were walking away from the burning vehicle. The search for clues began to concentrate on the Beery Mountain area, and police were searching for any clue that Susie had been there, especially looking for her pair of white boots. Which I couldn't imagine being out in the woods, because if you're not from West Virginia, we got a lot of woods. Oh I yeah, mean, that's like 90% of our state. Girl thick, right? So, I couldn't imagine trying to just, even one dense area trying to just find something now of course a white boot at the end of november it could be something tricky to find because here we're liable to have snow by november 23rd oh yeah so i could imagine that that would be a very daunting task to undertake and you have to wonder you know did whoever you know whoever done this did they take her shoes as their trophy like many murderers do they take trophies so it could be possible that whoever done this to her took them as a reminder of their dirty deed. It is suspected that Susie's family and friends began getting threatening calls and letters telling them to leave the matter alone or they would do something to Susie's younger sister, Sharon. And this caused the family to go silent. The following July, Bruce remarried and became a minister in 1989. Bruce and Susie's daughter, Angela, she got married as well. No new clues have been found in Susie's case, and her murder remains unsolved to this day. So this happened in November 1973, which is around 50 years ago, and we still have nothing new. But if you have any information about the murder of Patricia, please call Crime Stoppers at 304-255-STOP. Or contact West Virginia State Police at 304-469-2915. And you can remain anonymous so that whatever information you might have, nobody's going to know it came from you. Right. And this is mostly a shout out to our West Virginia natives because we imagine that since she's, you know, born here, raised here, she has friends around here we may be able to find something and kind of put this case to rest. Is her case really unsolved? Or has it been solved already? We've actually spoken with a anonymous person who has provided his own conspiracy theory regarding the disappearance of Patricia and her murder. The theory of this being that the murder of Patricia was not only a hired hit, but a hit on the wrong person. Basically, 
a hard hit that was executed incorrectly. Pretty terrible hitman, if you ask me. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> so first for some background into the family dynamics that were going on at play. Bruce's parents were a lovely couple to anybody who met them, but to those who were on the inside, they knew that it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. They held very strong beliefs um, of the traditional roles of a man and a woman in, in the 70s, and divorce was not an option. They were very proud people. And Bruce's father was abusive to his wife, and there was some allegations of molestation on the younger girls in the family. And Bruce's father also owned a construction company that worked out of Hinton. And that's about a 40-minute drive from where we are right now. And he was, Bruce's father was a rather wealthy man for the, his time, you know. And he used his wealth to line the pockets of powerful people, um, including the police. So with these facts in mind, we spring forward to when Bruce met Patricia and they got married. Bruce's father became very obsessed with her, probably for the fact that she was young and so closely resembled his wife as they both wore black wigs. Now, as all this is going on, Bruce's mother is finally able to escape the abuse of her husband and files for divorce, which was not really an option that they believed in, but hello, she's getting abused. Why wouldn't you get out? And she actually meets somebody new, and all of this really angers Bruce's father. So what does any very wealthy man do to put it into this? He hires someone to kill his ex-wife, and being as he owned his own construction company, he had the means of hiring his own staff to do the job. So, in all of his anger, he provides a picture of his ex-wife to the people that he hires to kill her, and he pays them enough money to do the job and get out of town. Who are the people that he hired, you might ask? Well, it was the two African-American men in the unsolved murder case. Now we bring you to the day that Patricia was delivering her Amway products and taking her grandmother, which is Bruce's mother, to the grocery store. As it turns out, Patricia's vehicle had broken down the day before and she had asked to borrow Bruce's mother's car, which is the Volkswagen Beetle, that was actually found burned. So... While she was out and about on the town, she was being tailed by the two men who believe she is Bruce's mother, which was the whole target of the operation. And they see a petite white woman with a black wig, and it is the 70s, so they only have this one picture to go off of. Now, details regarding the two African-American men getting in her car are true, as people had witnessed this, and we just discussed this in the main part of the case and they take her to Plum Orchard Lake they kill her then burn the car thinking they've killed the right person they use the money they were given to get out of town 
just as Bruce's father wanted him to. Kill her, take the money, get out of town. And the ring that was found burnt in the vehicle actually belonged to Bruce's mother. By now, you are probably wondering, why did this story never get out? Why is this case still an unsolved murder? Well, during this interview, I was informed that Bruce's father, who had all of the incriminating evidence regarding his hit on his ex-wife, which included pictures and written notes, took all of this information to his grave, never to be told to anybody, thus creating the conspiracy theory that they murdered the wrong person. However, another bit of information that the interviewer provided was that another family member who also faced divorce, Bruce's father actually threatened the family with statements of, you wouldn't want the same thing that happened to Patricia to happen to you, would you? Which is insane, because why would he even, like, why would he even say that if it wasn't meant to be Patricia in the first place? Wouldn't that be like a, ugh, oops, my bad. You wouldn't want to, like, throw that in somebody's face and be like, you don't want the same thing to happen to you now, do you? Because Patricia was just an innocent bystander that just got mixed up in people's evil wickedness. But, if you are a wealthy person, lying the pockets of powerful people, why does it matter what threats you throw out? However, a person within the family managed to actually record their conversation, which included incriminating evidence regarding Patricia's case, and it was provided to a police officer for safety precautions. The officer was actually still on Bruce's father's payroll, and told this family member that he would hang on to it in case something happened, but that he could not release the information due to his status with Bruce's father. Here's a, here's a little rule. Make more than one copy. Make a copy of your recording. Copies of copies of copies. Yes. All the copies. Because if they're not going to do something about it, you need to take it to somebody who will. It is rumored that this officer may still have this information to this day. However, the interviewer informed us that the two men involved in Patricia's murder were put in jail for other charges and have both died in jail. And since the old man has took all the evidence to his grave, it's best to leave the case as it is. So it's up to you guys to determine whether you want to believe this conspiracy theory and do what you will with that information or just stick with the straightforward case that it's an unsolved murder and we'll stay that way. Yeah, because at this point all the major players are likely dead and at this point a conspiracy theory is all we have to go by. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Goes. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review so that way others can notice us too. Catch us on Facebook at Two Jane Goes where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. 
If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message on our Facebook page, or if you just happen to wind up on our website, you can send us a message there.